Okay, we're having another go at going live um, and we'll see what happens. Um, hopefully, um, this will happen fairly quickly. Are you there, Debbie? Says you're connected, you're entering the studio. Hopefully this will happen fairly quickly. Has entered the studio, which is great. Is connected. And Debbie is connecting. Just press the magic button and say connect. And Debbie, are you there? Holy smokes, I am so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. This happens. I mean, it's not the worst. Oh, my goodness. We just did this the other night. It was no problem. I tried three different computers tonight. I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> this happened to me once before, and it took 13 minutes. Mind you, I did do one test uh, with, with someone, and it took an hour and a half to get to get them connected. But I love technology. <laughs> Oh my goodness! I was I was so confident, and I'm like I knew exactly what I was going into, and then I was like, "Hello, hello." Yep, I'm right with you there. It worked perfectly, <sighs> um, but it just didn't want to this morning. So here we are again. And for those now, I've just posted another link onto Facebook, so hopefully people will find us. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I am so sorry. No, that's all right. Look, the big part about this is that clearly, as a live event, you're going to have problems. But the good part is that this is recorded and it goes up online and people can find it via the website. So, And they can find out that it took me 10 minutes to get in. <laughs> yeah, and, we, and we won't show that 11 minutes. That's on a different recording, which won't end up. Anyway, thank you very much for joining us eventually. So I guess I'm going to start with the first question is, Debbie, tell us a little bit about yourself and Easter Seals and your programs. I think that's a great start point. Okay. Um, so I've been helping people get employed for, um, I'm going to admit it, 30 years now. Um, and I'm going to say people with quote unquote barriers to employment, but I think that we all have barriers to employment. So well, no question about that. <laughs> I say that tongue in cheek. Um, I've, you know, worked with uh, people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, people with mental health and behavioral concerns. Um, obviously addiction, some diversion from the criminal court system, um, veterans returning, um, and, you know, just everybody who, who's looking for a job and kind of traditional employment doesn't work. Um, so, so it's all about looking at it in a different manner. And for me, it's really um, imperative that we all look at people as you know, full of capacity and um, expect that they're going to be successful. So it's up to us just to find the way that that person is most successful without going, oh, well, you need to change this and you need to change that and you need to do this before you can ever do this. Um, so, yeah, so 30 years of employment from a job coach up to the vice president of employment services in Easter Seal, Southern California. Um 2018, I got appointed as a subject matter expert for customized employment um, with veterans specifically, but also just with customized employment overall. 
So I've been doing a lot of work with um, Office on Disability Employment Policy under the Department of Labor. Um, but my heart is, you know, in the true face-to-face services and what we do every day to um, and just meet people where they are. Yeah, it, it's interesting. You, you, you mentioned veterans, and I, and I think it must be, what, five years ago when I first traipsed through your office door, and the thing that struck me was your veterans program, because I'd never seen that anywhere else. Can you explain a little bit more about how that potentially differs from, if it does differ for that matter, from how we normally look at customised employment? Sure, it actually varies very differently. No, very little. Let's see. It actually varies very little. <laughs> okay, that's a bit clearer. I know that was a hard sentence. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, customized employment is customized employment, and helping people find their niche in life and create a meaningful career, you know, passes through all I don't know societal norms and whatever you want to call it. Um, it's what we all do, and you know, if you look at customized employment as a whole, what I, I think people don't realize is it's what we all do every single day, whether we have a label or not. And and that's certainly how we apply it to veterans as well. Yeah, it's an interesting, isn't it, that I you know, often read things where people say, you know, oh, customized employment is unique, it's different, it does this, it does that. But in actual fact, it's just really being truly person-centered every day in every way. But we've really applied it to to employment in a way that we've never really considered it because as I'm sure you're well aware, I mean, most employment systems tend to be orientated towards the provider and compliance and not the individual. Absolutely. System centric rather than individual centric or job seeker centric. Yeah. So let's go back quite a few years and I'm not going to put a a timeline on that one, but what was the attraction to you of, of customized employment and what made you think this is what we need inside Easter Seals? Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's a loaded question. I know. <laughs> it is. It is. It's taken me all the way back. You know, it really is. It's, it's about, um, I'm going to say it's about people not being listened to. And like you said, kind of system centric, you know, people fit in this cube and that's where you need to live. And, and that's not where anybody lives. So it's really looking at the individual and um, you know, what, what inspires them, what, what makes them light up in life. Um, how, you know, I, I learned a long time ago that I heard this quote and it's always stuck with me. And it was like, students don't fail, teachers fail. And I feel that strongly with customized employment is, you know, the person is ready for employment. I mean, they're proficient. They're ready to go. They're ready for whatever contribution they can make to the individual. And it's it's only us or only the providers who fail to see that or who put that person in a box where they need to change something about them or their pre-employment, you know, they need to uh, jump bridges that none of the rest of us do. Yeah, it's interesting. It goes to one of the comments that you often see in employment services where people say, well, our job is to make people job ready. And I scratch my head and go, well, everybody's job ready. We just don't know what that job is. Right. Um, and it, it seems to me that when you, you're guided by that philosophy that our job is to make people job ready, then I think you've missed the point straight away. Right. But I also think it's, you know, consistent with social services. I mean, if you think about the industry, if you will, 
you know, people come in, people care for them, they take good care of them, they make sure that they're safe and warm and, you know, not mistreated, if you will, hopefully in a good environment. <laughs> but but those aren't the people that do customized employment. And that's one of the big shifts that I've seen through the years that I continue to advocate for on a daily basis is those aren't the same people who can do customized employment. They have a different outlook on life. They have a different position in life. They're good people. They do great things. But those are not the people who are going to help someone see their potential. Right, because one of the things I'm constantly reminding people of is that the thing about customized employment is that we're not doing anybody a favor. Our role is to, to partner with them, not to do them a favor. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, it's interesting. I've actually got a question from you, uh, for you, from one of our listeners, and it's, it's it's how do I convince a provider to not focus on people not being job ready? Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, I love that kind of stuff. Um, so, and you know, it's tough. And as an individual, and I can tell you that I have fought these battles many, many times on many, many different fronts. Um, but you just you need to. Um, Okay, I'm going to give you an analogy, if you will. Um, <laughs> so I say, you know, here's this person who is um, obsessive compulsive, um, can be really uh, cranky and antisocial, um, needs constant stimulus, and doesn't like to work around people. Right? So you're going, wow, that's going to be hard to find. Well, okay. no, I was thinking that was you. <laughs> it is. It is me. So so when I go in, I don't say those things, right? I mean, if yeah. I were looking for a job tomorrow, I'd be talking about I'm a professional. I'm a, you know, I'm a perfectionist. I, I love multitasking. I, you know, I mean, I'm talking about my attributes. I'm not talking about everything that makes me quote unquote special. Yeah. Did that answer that? Uh, yeah, actually, the um, listener went, yes, focus on positives. So, so yeah, I think that ticked that box for um, Maria there. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> so <laughs> let me go do a little bit more of a focus on history. Clearly, you've been involved in customised employment for quite a while, and I'm not going to put any of those decade things on it. But when you go back to the start, and then you start to think about where we are now, What's what was the early days like? What were your challenges in the early days? Because I guess... And I think sure some of our leaders, will, readers will will feel the same way. And that is in Australia, we're, even though people talk about customised employment in weird ways, we're really at the early days of it here and its adoption. Yeah. So what were your challenges earlier on? You know, I, um, I, I just think of people as people and I think that everyone should have the best outcome in their lives, whatever that may be for them. So... You know, when I got involved in customized employment and I really realized that this was opening those doors and looking at things differently, um, even for me, who'd always looked at things differently, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I started telling people about it and I started trying to get them excited. And, you know, I went to our funders and I went to, you know, the different support groups, if you will, and, and everybody. And, um and they were like, yeah, yeah, patting me on the head going, that's supported employment. That's what we've always done. That's the newest catchphrase. Um, and I kept saying, no, it's not. And, you know, I was pushing along and, you know, I'm doing so much talking and so much convincing. And, and then all of a sudden it's like this kind of, I don't know, the guy with the snake oil, right? 
everybody started going, oh my goodness, this is really amazing. <laughs> Let's do this. But the problem was I hadn't done it yet, right? Right. And all of the funders are going, oh, we don't fund that anyway. Um, so I just decided, uh, you know, and I, I, I was, I, I am blessed to work with an organization that, you know, believes philosophically that everyone deserves a right to choice and, and the best life possible. So, you know, I presented, um, I presented a, a revised organizational chart to my directors <laughs> and said, you know, if we're serious about this, we need to get serious about this, but we just need to put our heads down and we need to do it right. And then people will start noticing. And that's exactly what we did. And that's exactly what happened. And that's exactly why we ended up being funded for it. Right. And I think that's one of the things that we've seen here. We've, you know, we've had the, the straight up in your face arguments with people and they've gone, oh, yeah, you know, it's just another one of these and go away. And we've taken the, the that same view is that stuff. We'll just do it, you know, and, and eventually people will wake up and go, oh, um, you know, we even with our training program, you know, which is just a, a bit of an aside to this, is, is we had the federal government's certification body say that they didn't believe that people that deliver in disability employment needed any form of training. Um, so you can see the battles are probably the same uh, that you've had. Um, Absolutely. But they're just a bit weirder here, I think. Well, maybe not. But you, you, when you look at it from your early days, and now you, you've clearly been successful at it, and, you've, and it's functioning very well um, within Easter Seals, clearly. Um, what, what are the sort of changes you've, you've, you've had to make over the, over the years to, to keep it focused, on, so to speak? Sure. So obviously, one of the first things I noticed was, as I mentioned earlier, you know, People who um, do, uh, I don't know, social rec or um, individual care or ADLs, those kind of things, aren't the people that you need to do customized employment. So if you're changing an organization, um, it, you need to really be cognizant of that fact. And it's not a bad thing. It's not negating anything that anyone's done through the years. It's just realizing that it's different. Um, when we first started switching to employment, um, our retention rate went down to 38%, which wow. I know, right? It was like, <gasps> um, <laughs> but once we started getting the right people on board, our retention rate went up to 89%. Right. So it's really a different mindset. And this goes to the point you've always raised with me when we be together about getting the right people on the bus and the, and the wrong people off the bus, and which is a phrase that, that I, I admit to stealing from you because I think it's brilliant, but it, it, it really signifies some of the things that we see and, and almost to the point where we tell providers straight out that you're probably going to lose half your staff through this program because they're going to realise that they don't, really don't believe this. Um, and they're going to go and work somewhere else. And that seems to be fairly common. I mean, I did have one person resign four hours into the first day of training, which I can think is a record, but for the wrong reasons, I guess. Um, but it does highlight that for this to work in organisations, it's a different sort of person, so to speak. It truly is. It, it's just, and even, you know, when we're hiring, we do so much screening on the front end and um, we even do some predictive analytics because, you know, if you're if you're really believing that you're getting into this role for charity or to help someone else's life better, be better, or that you know they're going to be uh, relying on you 
and it's going to elevate your status, I guess you could say, um, <laughs> in a really frank and candid manner. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Those are all the reasons why you shouldn't be in it and why you, you won't be successful doing it because it's not about charity. It's about meeting people where they are, you know, whether it's a person in a Normani suit or someone who's, you know, homeless on the sidewalk, I expect every single one of my staff to say hi to either one and to make eye contact and to ask them how their day's going. Everyone has value. Um, I think I've told you, Peter, <laughs> it's kind of funny when people come in for interviews and, um, you know, they'll be meeting with one of my directors and they're sitting outside waiting for the interview and I'll walk by and, and they don't even acknowledge me. Right. And I'm like, okay, she's not getting hired. He's not getting yeah. hired. I mean, well, and, and, but that illustrates the personalization of the process. I right. mean, if you're not, if you can't relate to people irrespective, then you're probably not the right person. Right, right. I don't, I'm not sure what those individuals are looking for. Those, I hate saying that stuff. Um, but, you know, I mean, I expect everyone to make eye contact and put a smile on their faces. And, you know, our, our offices often tease me because, you know, I don't, as workforce, we don't have offices. Uh, we rely on going into other, other um, Easter Seal spaces. But, you know, people are always like, oh, work first is here because <laughs> they can hear us. You know, we're laughing. We're having fun. We're gregarious. We walk in the door smiling and saying hi to everybody. And that's, that's what you need. Yeah, and look, and, and, and you, that was driven home the first time I came to your offices there in Escondido, and I kind of drove past the building a few times and thought, this can't be right. It's too small. <laughs> you know, and, and people when I relay the fact that, you know, you run a very large employment program in, in Southern California, and as you've said, it services a population probably bigger than Australia. And yet there's the offices like, well, in real terms, compared to employment services that we have here, it's a shoebox. Um, it, it, it's the, it's about that size. And people got to might say, well, you know, it's only a handful of people and you'd miss it if you blinked if you drove past it and people go no that can't be right but it is true because i guess if you think about it where are our clients they're out in out there in the community where are the employers they're out there in the community so if we do this correctly we don't need a big office because no one's coming to us right absolutely and you know i mean when you were at our office we all came in to meet you it wasn't like we sit there every day. <laughs> no, and I think I, I was grateful to meet all four of you. <laughs> yeah, and that's one of those things too. It's like you meet people on their turf. You don't make them come to you when you're sitting behind a desk with a clipboard that you're going to do this checkoff list with. That's, that's not equal footing. I mean, I want to meet someone where they're most comfortable and at their best and um, establish that rapport and get to know them because – they're an equal. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I must admit for the last probably half a dozen years or more, I've spent most of my time meeting people in coffee shops um, and places like that. Um, and people sort of scratch their head and go, well, how do you do that in a coffee shop? And I'm going, really simple. That's where they go. Um, and so we're there in their setting. And it, it's one of the interesting things I find is that in trying to get organizations to consider adopting customized employment, they all look around their big offices and go, well, no, people come to us. Right. We don't go to them. And then you, it always leads into the resistance about going to, to the person's home, which mm -hmm. honestly for me is one of the most exciting parts of doing employment, mm -hmm. you know, because it's that relationship build. They trust you and they want you in their home and they want to show you stuff. Um, and it's one of the, the weirdness of us all working from home now 
is now working from home and being in someone's home, as we do invite people in through Zoom every day, no one bats an eyelid. Right. Right. You know, and, and yet we go out into the employment space and people's like, when well, you come to my office. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's that system centric thing. I mean, it's, I am better than you. You must come to me. Um, but that's also one of the reasons why people always say that they can't do customized employment is because it's too expensive. Well, yeah, you're right. If you keep the buildings and you keep the cars and you keep your support staff and everyone who you know puts you on a pedestal, if you will, yeah, it's going to be too expensive. But if you invest in the people you're supposed to be working for and with, um, it makes sense. So I'm not going to say it. No, well, it does. Yeah, <laughs> there's a statement in there somewhere. Um, but it does go to the point, one of the things that I tend to highlight to organisations is that is the customised employment won't work. And even employment under the NDIS, where the big providers in Australia or the, the mainstream providers go, well, we can't make money out of delivering employment under the NDIS program. And I go, well, yeah, no, you can't. If you keep your old legacy model of practice. Right. You know, and we've seen quite a few providers over the last couple of years, and certainly here in Melbourne, spend millions of dollars moving into lush offices where they've got hundreds of desks. And I scratch my head and go, why? Um, but that highlights that probably a larger part of the battle of getting employment, particularly customised, uh, individualised employment systems in place, is that the provider system is still wedded to its legacy, its office towers, its its grand entrances and all that sort of stuff. Um, when You know, you, you obviously work with a lot of providers around the US. Do you see that a lot? And, and how do you actually... I'm not going to say beat them up over it, but how do you get them to say, you know what, you don't need this shit? <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I almost paraphrased you there. <laughs> you know, I say that directly. <laughs> <laughs> I, the only way to make changes is stop doing shit. So, you know, I think it was, um, oh my goodness, I'm going to embarrass myself here. I think it might have been Angelou, Maya Angelou, who said, do the best you can until you know better and then do better. Right. It, was that my Angelou? Look, I, yeah, well, I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> the, one of the benefits of COVID is after nine months of being at home, <laughs> most, of my, most of my brain cells are fried. <laughs> okay. Well, so I won't feel too embarrassed. But anyway, and that's the truth. It's like, you know, I mean, the things that we were doing in the past and the things that I've done in the past, although, you know, it's never been sub-minimum wage, it's never been enclaves, it's never been discounting individuals, I would say in that manner. Um, you know, the more that we learn, the more that we know that we can support people in a better manner and that everyone is capable of employment and regardless of the supports they need. So just changing the way that we look at things changes the outcomes. So the more that I can share that with people and provide them with tools and demonstrate how it's worked in the past, yeah, even for those people, quote unquote, um, I think that really makes a difference. Right. And one of the things that we're starting to see here is certainly I'm seeing it is that is a very clear line between service providers wanting to work with clients that we would refer to or they might refer to as high functioning, low support needs clients, which to my mind are the sort of clients that probably find a job without you. Right. And they tend to not want to work with, with, shall we say, the other, the clients that actually really need our help, which are the, the more complex disability. Yet the history of customised employment is that 
is very successful with those, with the clients that do need high support. Um, it's it's really quite phenomenal. Yet we still seem to have this difficulty bridging the gap with providers going. Yes, we will work with everybody. Right. I mean, how do you battle that? Well, I mean, for me, it's zero exclusion, and I think that every probably every presentation or every training that I've ever done has talked first about zero exclusion. And if a person says that they're ready, willing, and able to work, they are. So um, in the time that I've run Work First, we've never denied anyone services for anything, um, uh, for, for employment, customized employment. Um, yeah. And the, the offset, I would say, is that, you know, the individual with more complex needs that really you have to get to know before you even get into some of the, oh my goodness, look at that. <laughs> you know, yeah. I had no idea. Um, it's the person who takes more time, but it's the people who don't take as much time and, and you kind of get those feelings and um, the informational interviews turn out differently and it's a more quick process, which those are the ones that allow you to work with people with more complex needs. So it's always about, you know, braiding funding or looking at things differently um, because you can't cream. I mean, I've, you know, from the day that I got into the service, it was about, you know, oh, well, I'll take him, but not him. Or, you know, well, he's yeah. a quote unquote employable. It's like, oh my goodness. Yeah. And that's the interesting, isn't it? Because all the reviews of the systems that, that we've seen here in Australia, and, and I think I've seen it, read it in different parts of the world as well. And certainly in my own research, it, it highlighted the fact that, the systems are all about, you know, creaming and parking and, and you know, people go, well, what does that mean? And they go, well, they take the people that can find a job really bloody quickly and those that can't, you get to sit over there. Um, and I think that for me, one of the strengths of customized employment is that we get to work with those people sitting over there. And yeah, we get to work with some of the other people, but really I think the strength of customized employment is that it works with everybody. Um, and that those co more complex clients are the ones that really get the most out of it. And that's not to discount employment for everybody, but I simply think that it's the more complex clients that are the real beneficiaries of customized employment. Oh, it's so true. And, you know, I've had um, one, <laughs> one perfect example is a guy that we worked with in San Diego, and he had been determined, quote unquote, unemployable by his high school even though he'd been in transition and all of those good schools, you know, all of those good classes and um, quasi-employment through his, through his years. And, you know, we don't look at people like that. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, cool, let's see what we can do. And uh, we were, it was during the home interview, I think, that um, his mom or dad, I forget which now, but said, you know, he loves to tinker. He's always tinkering. Like, I can't get him to stop tinkering. Like, tinker? <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. that's, an, that's an interesting thing. So we started kind of pulling at that thread. And we ended up at an informational interview where we went to a small uh, television store. Um, and we said, you know, would you mind if, you know, he just went in the back and tore some equipment apart for a while? Um, and the guy's like, oh, I don't care, you know, whatever. <laughs> and so he did. And the ironic thing was, I mean, this guy was mad. He, he had mad skills, you know, like he picks up the, the screwdriver and he starts pulling things apart. He's got the right pliers and the right needle nose and all this stuff. And it's like, wow. Mm -hmm. um, 
And as we're sitting there doing this informational interview slash job, job trial, if you will, the guy at the front desk, the owner, gets a call for a harvested part on this TV that he's working on. Right. Right? So all of a sudden, this new business opens up to this owner who's like, I never thought about selling used parts. Right. And we have a tinkerer there who's the perfect candidate for that job. Right. And he's one of those guys, I got to tell you, like everybody had written him off. You know, he, he, um, I think he would be annoyed at me with saying this, but, you know, <laughs> he's one of those guys who got bored in a room in one minute, you know, and he'd be like, all right, I have to go to the bathroom now. All right, I'll be back. All right. You know, and everybody was like, oh my goodness, he never sits still. He's never going to get a job. And, and he had all these labels and, and he just, he, he ended up working for this guy and it was awesome. And one day he was out and about with his uh, vocational specialist and um, he ran into his high school teacher and she was like, he's a man. I can't. <laughs> right. Exactly. She had no clue. And that, that was the difference. Right, and and I think that's one probably one of the positive things I I can recall wandering around Escondido with Tim, who was going taking us in and out of buildings, and I said, "Well, you know this area?" And he goes, "No, I've never been here," and and that fascinated me because it, <laughs> it, it 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 highlighted the fact that you actually have to get out and walk around a community, and you don't have to be from that community to actually find the employment opportunities. Right, and if you sit at the desk, you never will. Yeah, absolutely. And I and and the other thing that, you know, which I'd like to ask you a little bit about is because all of the staff are now outside in the community. And, and I remember you know, to this day, I got in Tim's car and he said, welcome to my office. And I went, OK, you probably need to clean your office, but OK. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but it illustrated one of the, the interesting things about how customer employment is done is and that is the staff around in the community. They're out there all the time as opposed to mainstream services which are the staff are in their offices they have call centers they have all sorts of other weird things and they don't go out into the community so you know and, and maybe this is a redundant question in the sense that how do we manage that how do we manage staff and it probably is a redundant one now that's the right bus the right people on the bus and the wrong people on the bus thing i guess but how do you manage that you know how do you manage your staff who are working remotely Sure. It's truly not redundant um, because we haven't even touched on that. And that's really about looking at the outcomes. And, you know, you have to have a robust outcome measurement system and it can't be tied around, quote unquote, people are satisfied. Um, or, you know, I had, I have five new referrals this month. Well, that doesn't mean anything. The outcome is someone's employed in a meaningful job. Um, so we don't look at the other stuff and, and we have, you know, we have, I don't want to say production measures, but, you know, everyone is held accountable for their performance and there are expectations that are set the first day they walk in. And we understand that there's a huge learning curve with customized employment. So, you know, even when we're budgeting, we understand that there are, I'm, I'm going to say months when a person is first getting acclimated that are not billable months for that individual. Right. And, and then, and then setting the, setting them up for success and, you know, literally creating almost an attendance sheet. Like this is where this is. This is where this is. This is where this is. These are your billable milestones. This is where you should be now. Um, we have a lot of, I mean, even like with the discovery staging record, 
I broke it down into colors, and then I broke the colors into a um, a wheel that shows you where you should be in week one, where you should be in week two, where you should be in week three, just because those are so important to people. I mean, you you hand someone a discovery staging record, which I'm not sure what you use, but ours can be you know 28 pages by the time someone gets employed, and it's overwhelming. Absolutely. So you break it down and you go, okay, week one, do these three things. Week two, do these three things. Right. And, and a lot of that goes to something that we know and that Carrie's always said, and that is that it takes, you know, about five or six discoveries before the light bulbs go on for people. Right. Um, and yet employment services tend to be geared towards the idea that you walk through the door on day one and in your first month you've had five placements. Right. Whereas that's really not possible when you start out with customized employment, um, because in the first month, if you had five clients, you'd still be doing discovery, not placing people. Very true. And that comes back to, as an organization, how you approach things. And um, when you're looking at developing your funding model or your proposal, if you will, uh, you need to count those hours that are non-billable. Um, it's just, it's critical. The, the level of training that it takes someone to get proficient at this and the follow along technical assistance, which I cannot stress enough is, is imperative. Um, so if you don't include those in your costs and you're just assuming that someone comes in on the first day and starts placing people, you're not, you're always going to be in the red. But if you, if you count those things and you understand that it's a professional development career and that you're moving toward these things, um, it, it just, it makes a world of difference. Right. Because one of the things that we often see is that, um, you know, organizations or projects and say, look, can you come and train our staff on customized employment? And we go, well, okay, but you need to recognize that there's more to it and there is going to, you're going to require mentoring, ongoing development and support. And they go, we don't want that. Right. Um, and most often we generally say no when we're not interested in working with that organization, but occasionally where we've kind of said yes, when we've got there and we've discovered what's going on and they've kind of gone, well, just train them and leave. We kind of go, well, you know, you're wasting your money. This is not going to work. True. Um, because without, and this is, I think this goes to the interesting part, learning it is one thing, embedding it in the organization. That's the long journey. And that's where the big investment is. And if you don't do that, then clearly your staff are not going to do this properly. And we often see organizations will go, look, we got, we gave everybody a book and they read it and they know what they're doing. And I'm like, Christ, I've read thousands of books and I don't know what I'm doing. True. <laughs> um, you True. know, so it, it really highlights that. So when I look at your framework and you've been doing it for a long while and you talked about the ongoing technical assistance and clearly I know what that is because, you know, I watch it and watch what you're up to. Uh, I'm not a stalker. <laughs> Um, but clearly it does highlight that starting the process and continuing to refine and develop and contextualize it is a key ingredient to making customized employment work. It is. It's absolutely critical. I can't, you know, in, in, um, in the States we have an acre course, which I highly recommend. That's 40 hours of customized employment training, but I, I did that under carry. <laughs> awesome. So, so, but, but what we often see is, you know, providers or their staff taking that and feeling like they now have a PhD in customized employment. And, and it's not, I mean, it's not even an AA. This is the scratching the surface. This is to get you interested. Now you need to invest in it and move forward. And, 
I think that too many providers don't understand that. And again, too many staff don't. We've done so much with, you know, different providers in the area. Typically in Southern California, I invite, um, I open all of our trainings up to all providers because I really think that when when um, we all thrive, we all thrive, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I really want to want to bring up that level of um, education and awareness to everyone. But, you know, I've had 60 people sitting in a room and, and somebody look over at me and go, well, we did all this and we still don't have outcomes. It's right. like, well, well, you did the training. That's all you did. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's that's been a fascinating thing for us because, you know, we've just gone through the process of codifying the training and, and turning it into a recognised training course because clearly I guess that's one of the outcomes of the current pandemic is you can't go out. So it's forced us to, to, to develop it. And one of the interesting things that I often say to people is that the thing about customised employment as much as you customize the process for the individual, you actually have to customize it for your organization and setting as well. And, and each staff member. You know, I have some people who are to so totally comfortable, like Tim that you mentioned, walking into a business cold and just going, hey, blah, 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 you know? And I have other people who are just petrified and you know that they have the personality, you know they have the skill set, you know they have the drive. Um, so it's really reframing it for them. And, and what I'll say in those situations is like, you know, if somebody's not doing the informational interviews and you can tell that they're just like, you know, scared to death or they're mucking them up, it's like, okay, I want you to stop by one business that you don't know on your way home tonight and tell me about it tomorrow. You know, the person comes in and they're like, blah, 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 blah. It's like, all right, you just did your first informational interview. Yeah, and, and I guess, you know, I mean, I've actually used that example that you gave, that you gave there because I think it's a brilliant one um, in training. But I, the other one I make observations to people about is you do know that when you go to the supermarket and talk to the person at the checkout, that's an information <laughs> I interview. Know, I know, I know, I <laughs> know. It's like every time we talk to anyone, it's a marketing opportunity, right? Well, well, it is, and I think, and again, it, it, I'll probably get this wrong, but I think it was, wasn't it Dale Carnegie who said that everyone's a salesman? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and and that is true. You're you're not might not be selling a product, but you are selling yourself and your relationship. Right. Um, you know, I got into um, along my career path. I was invited to uh, run our development department, and somebody, I don't know, someone, a colleague who'd known me a long time, like I just can't imagine you in that. You are so not a salesperson. And I'm like, I am not a salesperson. That's the last thing I would want to do. But what I like to do is I like to share the amazing stuff that we're doing and the things that people are doing to change their lives. Um, and that's really the way that I see it. But, but that's an informational interview, you know. And when I say to people, you know, the thing about going into – into a company and talking to someone, you're not there looking for a job. You're looking for information. And everyone that runs a small business likes to talk about their business. Of course. <laughs> you know, and that's that relationship thing. And that's what you're doing. And we're doing it. I mean, this podcast is exactly that. Let's be honest. I mean, it's an informational interview. But that's true. And I think that's the pathway to finding real employment is that is building the relationship by, by going in there and having a conversation and letting the business owner talk about their business. And and it goes to something that I've always said about informational interviews, and that is that when I train staff, is that you need to have a line. Yeah. You just can't walk in the door and go, hey, I'm here. Right. Watch your line. Okay. You know, and I think that's it. Once staff work out what their line is, their approach, informational interviews become really easy. 
Right, and you don't start with, hi, my name is Debbie Ball, and I'm with Easter Show Southern California, and I work with people who blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And you've already lost them, right? Yeah. I mean, you go in with a big smile on your face and go, dang, I couldn't even get to the parking lot today. You guys were busy at 11 o'clock. What's going on at 11? Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a conversation, isn't it? Because all of a sudden you're starting a conversation from a from a really interesting place that where there's nothing going on other than going, hey, we're having a great time here. Right. And, and that's when it starts. And and invariably that's when someone will go, so so what's your name? I'm so and so. And what you know, what do you do? Right. Or you might have them go, you know, oh my God, every day at eleven o'clock the high school next door breaks and I don't have enough staff to, you know cover the three hours that they're on their break. <laughs> it's like, hey, mm. <laughs> and, you know, ironically, one of the things that I hear, even from some of my season staff is it's, let's see, I hate to say this. I don't even know that these words can come out of my mouth. Um, it's hard to tell a small business owner who's been doing something the same way for a long time that they can do it differently. And that's not what customized employment is. Customized employment is looking for those little pieces that are unmet needs, not about telling the person that they're doing something wrong. So I know that that seems like just such a minor little thing, but it's gigantic. Well, well, I think it is because the first part, if you go in and so tell them what they're doing wrong and what they can do better, that's a like, well, you know, that's a slap in the face. I mean, I mean, who the hell are you? The other one is actually something where that where they might have a blind spot. And right. we all have those. And, and I think that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to find the blind spots um, that can add value to the business. Absolutely. Yeah. And, it, you know, bottom line is it's economic development. It's nothing else. So it's the right match with the right employer and the right employee. And, you know, these are the contributions that this individual can bring. And, you know, I frankly, oftentimes, I don't know that any other individual can bring the same attributes to that, to that business owner. So it's just a marriage. Yeah, and, and yet we still have this attitude in, in um, I'm not going to call it mainstream in services, but we still seem to have this attitude that we have to sell someone to a business, no, no. Um, which that irritates right. the crap out of me. And I'm right. sorry to use that, but it does irritate the crap out of me. Right. You know, to me, that's just selling puppies to people and it's the wrong way to, to form an employment relationship. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, never, never, never. I mean, we don't, you know, like in, in the States, we have um, tax benefits for employers who want to hire people with disabilities and those things. We don't use those. I'm not, I'm not going to undercut someone and say, please, please hire this person and look what it will give you if you do because they're in a real person. You can cut your, you know, that's, that's not what we do. We stand on equal footing and... Um, you know, we, we talk about passions and connecting people with similar passions. So, you know, even um, <laughs> one of the guys, and we don't, <laughs> we typically shy away from things like recycling and stuff because it's one of those kind of, you know, uh, yeah. defaults that so many people go to. And it's like, yeah, no. But um, we did an informational interview at this recycling center because this guy really had connections in his community and he would run his whole apartment center. Every, every week he went up and down and he collected all the returnables and the, he went to the recycling center to, to do this. And, you know, he would pull things when they were doing informational interviews, he would pull things out of the trash can and put it in the recycle bin. I mean, he just, there was something there. And, Absolutely. And we didn't know if it was, you know, kind of the green theme or whatever it was. But so it's like, you know, all right, we just have to do this one. So um, they went to an, uh, an informational interview at a recycling center and, 
And this guy is talking to the owner, which is, you know, obviously what you want to do. You want to be in the background and you want to establish that rapport with, you know, people with like-minded interests. And so the guy is the guy that we're working with, I think Scott was his name, is telling the owner about different things that he's done and how he's, you know, <laughs> reduced the waste in his apartment building by doing these things and stuff. And and the owner's like, you seriously know more about this business than I do. <laughs> <laughs> But it wasn't about the vocational specialist. It wasn't about an employment service. It was about two people who had a passion for doing something the right way, and and they took off on their own. They didn't need anybody around. No, and that's that notion of mutuality. And and the fact is that the disability doesn't matter. I mean, it's it's about the common interests. And and you know, earlier on here, you mentioned the, the idea of the subsidy and this sort of stuff. And I'm not a fan of that. But it's quite fascinating. We had. Uh, a staff member from an organization we worked with uh, emailed the other day and say, what do I do this with this employer who wanted to know how much the subsidy would be? And and my advice to that is don't bother. Right. Um, you know, wrong employer. It, yeah, it's the wrong employer. Because if they're employing for the money, the job's not going to be there when the money runs out. Right. Um, you know, and the starting point's wrong. It's like, how much can I make out of you? It's not like, it's like, well, that's, you know, we understand clearly that, that, Businesses have to make money and they, you've got to have an exploitable skill. But if the starting point is how much is the subsidy, right. it's the wrong place. Absolutely. Um, one of the guys that we worked with, and, you know, I mean, I learn things every day, which I just love about this job. But one of the guys that we worked with had a tortoise. Okay. And he was really, really, I mean, he was really into his tortoise and he knew like all the right foods and all the right nutritional supplements and everything. And we're like, Right, there's got to be something we can do with this, but I don't know what it is, right? So, yeah. we, so um, we found out that San Diego actually has a turtle and tortoise society, and they meet frequently. So, okay. yeah, I know, right? So this guy and his tortoise go to this society meeting, and, you know, he's around 150 other people who have tortoises and turtles who are just all talking about tortoises and turtles and it has nothing to do with his disability. Wow. <laughs> See, and that and that's fascinating because you know that that's one of those things you'd probably discover on a home visit. Right. Yeah, you know, and and to me that's one of those uh, I mean cl clearly if you think about that, you know, the tortoise thing, there has got to be a job there somewhere. I mean, I'd guarantee there's probably a tortoise rescue business somewhere out there. Oh, yeah, there were hundreds of them and not only that, but all of the people that he was meeting had lives outside of their tortoises. Right, it's like Absolutely. a tort eye, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and 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 that's that idea around you know the the social capital. I mean, he's he's mixing with a hundred odd people that have the same interests as him, who actually have networks and of and, and social capital beyond that, which really probably if you've got a hundred interested tortoise people um, that know this guy for his tortoises, tort eye. Um, then I'm betting there's probably a couple of hundred businesses out there that, that you could probably talk to. Exactly. And these people are introducing them as Todd, who they know from the Tortoise Society. Yeah. Absolute social capital at its best. Right. Yeah. So let's go a little bit further then. The current settings for customized employment, where do you see those evolving to? Oh, geez. Yeah, I know. That's an interesting question. I you know. You um, know, geez. All right. So, um, you know, I, I got to say six months ago, 
um, even a year ago, I was really thinking that we were making some headway and that things were truly changing in the right direction. Um, systemically, you know, systematically rate structure wise, um, recognition or wise, um, all of the, all of the right pieces, you know, and then I gotta say COVID hit and all of a sudden, um, people started getting really excited about being able to do customized employment remotely. And I, 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 I really had a problem with that. And I kept cautioning people, you know, it's not customized employment. I mean, yes, we can do some discovery remotely, but it's not customized employment. And then all of a sudden I kept seeing all of these systems changing and it was like, oh, I think this is a new future for customized employment. We'll do things remotely and then we can do it so much more efficiently. And I'm like, okay. And I had to tell people, I'm like, I can tell you that right now my expenses with doing customized employment remotely are four to one, right? It has, right. it has doubled my expenses and, and it's not because, I mean, it, and, and people, you know, the, I'm, the funders were telling me things like, you know, yeah, but you can, you know, you can meet with six people a day, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, yeah. right, right. Exactly. So, so I think now that pendulum kind of swung a bit and people are like going, Oh, you got to do customized remotely, you know? And I think that you can, I think you can do some really meaningful discovery visits on the front end stuff. And I think, you know, like you said, doing a zoom meeting in someone's home is, you know, I think it humanizes both sides. So it's really more of a balanced equation. And I right. think that, you know, the loved ones or that person's circle of support um, is is probably more comfortable with having those phone conversations and sharing interviews that way rather than, will you sit down and talk with me about Todd? <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, and, and I think you're right. I mean, everybody is now so comfortable with Zoom uh, that it's not it's just not funny. I mean, your life is probably the same as mine. You probably have six or seven a day um, from different parts of the world. So I think people are comfortable with it. But I, I still think that one of the things that will probably happen, and this is my personal view once we come out of this and we're able to move around in society again with the considerable numbers of of people that are now unemployed because of covid and many will not find their way back to employment because clearly there'll be a, a smaller number of businesses out there i think that it starts to to me it says this is where a customized employment will come into its own in the sense that you will have to go into the community and you will have to go to the places where we've always gone and traditional systems that are still focused on on big signs and this sort of stuff will struggle. But I think that the future of employment in terms of many of the opportunities will are currently hidden in back streets. And this is where the family visit, the, the social capital will start to really come to the fore in customised employment. I certainly agree. And, you know, in San Diego, uh, I heard it's just, statistic the other day that 98% of the businesses in San Diego are small businesses. Um, and we know that there's a huge hit, you know, but we also know that these people are entrepreneurs and that they're survivors and that they're creative. Um, and if we can meet them on their ground and show them the benefits of, um, you know, I, I don't even want to say more diverse hiring, just of, you know, look what look what this individual can provide to your company who's already thriving and has already been through all of this stuff 
and you know look at the um, look at the creativity that this person adds to your mix. And then you're talking about you know with small businesses always it's it's more like bringing a person into a family, and we all support each other rather than bringing someone into a cutthroat business where it's you know stepping on people's backs and showing their deficits. Right. Yeah. And I think one of the strengths of that, of course, is that, you know, when you bring him into this situation that's almost a family situation, this is where some really, really great natural supports can happen because they are almost treated like family. So therefore, we're going to go a little bit further in supporting you to develop your skills and, and get through your workflows. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up because I did want to touch on that. Um, one of the things that organizationally, and again, you know, I'm not sure how your funding systems work there, but, you know, in California, we've got, um, hmm, I mean, be careful how I word this. <laughs> uh, in California, we've had the place and train model forever, right? Yeah. So you drop a person in and then you train them forever. And the money is always in the training piece, Right. So yeah. you're billing on for 16 years, whether the, you know, because this person isn't right for the job and with customized employment, it stops. I, and that's one of the arguments that I continue to make when I'm, you know, doing rate conversations is like, we're talking about X number of dollars during the first year, you know, X number of dollars during the second year. Fini, that's it. We aren't talking about supporting this individual by job coaching for the next 15 years. Um, so that's really, I, and organizationally, you know, I, when, we, when we first did our budget, when we started doing customized employment, I, you know, I'm, I'm called on the carpet and it's like, well, you know, your numbers are really down here. And I'm like, yeah, but that's a really good thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that goes to one of the interesting things is that I've never been able to get my head around the fact that, we, that we're coaching people for, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years. And and periodically what we come across is is family members or family parents who say, well, I just thought that someone would come to me and say, my son's ready for a job. Um, you know, so I've been waiting for the last eight or nine years and I scratch my head and go, you know, you've been waiting for eight or nine years. The service has done the wrong thing because right. clearly if you're doing job coaching after eight or nine years, there's something seriously wrong with placement. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's, um, I mean, uh, we deliver employment services as a, as a part of our research and, and our practice and developing the practice model. And it fascinates me that, that people get offended when, you know, well, legacy providers get offended when we say, you know, realistically, we'll have people in employment in six months. It's not that difficult to do if you do discovery and, and customise employment correctly. Right. It truly isn't. Right. And, you know, I've, I've been in meetings where I've had other providers sitting next to me saying that their most lucrative service in the past year was the one where they didn't place anyone. All they did was coach. Yeah. Unfortunately, we still have systems, mainstream employment systems where, and you've clearly got them in America as well, where you can make more money by hanging on to someone rather True. than placing them. True. Well, that and intakes. You know, and that's another thing that you have to be careful of with the, your funding streams because people are getting discovery funded, but then they're waiting lists for discovery. So all their funding essentially is this intake, but nobody ever goes anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and I think that's been the folly for the last 60-odd years of, you know, of disability employment is that the system set up for people to make money just for process people, not get outcomes. Right. 
Absolutely. Um, and there's a heap of research that shows providers make out, make money by transferring people between systems. So I think this is one of the strengths of customized employment is that we can stop that process. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one of the huge things I advocate for anytime I do a presentation. And I'm doing a couple this month with family, um, family support groups, if you will. And, you know, it's like, be careful what you ask. I mean, a lot of people hang their shingles and say, oh, yeah, I do customized employment. And, you know, I've heard people in sheltered workshops say that. And, but the question is, you know, what are your outcomes? Where are people working? And, and I don't want to hear, again, I don't want to hear that people are satisfied, right? And I don't want to hear that people are working two hours a week. That's not work. So I want to know their wages. I want to know how many hours a week. I want to know, you know, the level of coaching supports. I want to know the different employers they work with. I want to know the different types of jobs. I want to know how many, how long people are in their services before they get a job. Yeah, and that goes to some of the things that, I mean, here in Australia, I guess, well, globally, you know, where we have a definition of employment, that's one hour of paid employment in the reference week. It's it kind of, the starting point is pretty low. And then, you, of course, you have systems that, that providers get paid on placements and, and if they've got a whole bunch of people with a disability, they can go, oh, we found one 40-hour job. We can break that into five little jobs. I know. And we can get five outcome payments and it's I like, know. yeah, but eight hours is not going to get you anywhere. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and that's one of the things that, that irritates the hell out of me. I mean, I think there needs to be a benchmark around, was this a real job to start with or did you create this out of screwing up another one full-time job into eight part-time jobs. I agree. So, I agree. So we've been at it for an hour now, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we could probably go further. Um, let's get the drinks out. Um, so, Debbie, uh, a final word from yourself on customised employment and why you should be doing this. Um, all right. Jeez, here I go with my soapbox. <laughs> about um why would you not do it i mean it's what we all do in our lives um i can tell you that my job is certainly carved because i would not be successful in many different environments um including within my own organization <laughs> oh, hey, I'm, I'm right with you there <laughs> <laughs> so it's it, you know and and i've been blessed in that i do have marketable skill sets and, and people have recognized them. And, and it is, it's about reciprocity, right? If, if I have something to give and my organization can benefit from it, why not maximize the opportunities there? Why go, but, but she speaks too loud. She will never work in a cubicle, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, so again, let's look at the attributes. Let's look what someone brings to the table and, um, and maximize those. It's never, and, and again, I've had, you know, so many parents come up and it's like, well, yeah, but he doesn't like to do anything. It's like, well, tell me about him. And then they start talking. It's like, well, he just, all he likes to do is organize. That's all he wants to do is organize. I'm like, okay, let's think about the places where organization is, you know, it, it, critical. Absolutely. And then we go down the path of, you know, like look at a dentist's office as they create the, the trays for someone to go in or, you know, and, and we go down so many different paths and they're like, Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting, is it? And I, I sometimes wonder if that if that's because we, as a society, we value qualifications over actually practical things. Well, and you know, I mean, people are learned. People learn that you need you only get services if, based on deficits. So, 
you know, you spend your whole life trying to get your son or daughter to qualify for a service. And then somebody else comes along and goes, tell me about him. And it's like, well, he's got this, this. No, that's not what I want to know. I, you know, what lights him up? Yeah, and that's interesting, isn't it? In order to get what you want, you've got to prove how disabled you are. <laughs> but to have a job, you've got to prove that you aren't disabled. This is a, yeah, this is, there's a weirdness in that particular proposition, isn't it? I saw a great meme the other day, and it was from, I'm sure it was Open Futures Learning. And it was, you know, this big fat file sitting on a desk and a person standing behind it. Looked like he probably had Down syndrome. And it said, a file is not my life's history. A file, and I'm probably going to slaughter this, but essentially a file is a history of people's opinions. That's brilliant. Isn't that profound? Yeah, that that, that is really good. And, and you know, um, I know that reminds me of why I'm doing this. Um, and one of the approaches I've always taken working with people uh, in that is that I never read their case notes before I meet them. Oh, I agree. I agree. Absolutely. Really? And case notes are full of all the things that why we won't do things for this individual. Right. Um, yeah. All right. Hey, Debbie, this has been brilliant. Um, we could keep going on for hours. I'm pretty certain we could. Um, <laughs> but I've really appreciated your input. And certainly, I, you know, I've been really appreciated your support and input over the many years that I've known you. Um, and yeah, it's been lovely to have you here today sharing your expertise and, and common sense. Well, thank you so very much. I've enjoyed it. I always enjoy our conversations. And sometimes th this one doesn't have a video attached to it, so it's even better for both of us. <laughs> I might point out that video that I did with you three years ago has had thousands of people view it. They are, are you serious? They love you. They love the fact that you're a no-bullshit person and you say it as it is. So, so and you told me when we did that that you were going to invite me over to do some training. It's coming. The trouble is now is that none of us can leave our house. <laughs> I know. We I will know. get you on board. There's no there's no doubt that when we can work out what the world looks like, the travel perspective, you're on my hit list to come into Australia. Guaranteed. If we have something to. that resembles normality, you'll be here next year in spring in Australia, which is autumn where you are. We'll drag you out here where it's really nice. <laughs> I'll, I'll be there with bells on. I'm really looking forward to it. And I, I so enjoy following everything that you're doing. And, you know, I, I hope you know that I totally support you in your efforts. And, um, oh, absolutely. I love having the connections. You know, and I, I think the thing about what we do, all of us collectively, is we build on each other's work and we stand on each other's shoulders. And, and that's what we have to do to make employment really possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this has been fun. And again, thank you. Um, we'll have a conversation in the not too distant future again. As a matter of fact, we will probably talk next week. Um, this is brilliant. Thank you, Debbie, for your time. Um, and I'm going to stop saying this is brilliant because, well, it has been. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Have a great uh, day. Yeah, it's morning here. So it's brilliant. Thanks, Debbie. This has been great. Talk to you right. soon. Okay, bye-bye.